episode is sponsored by award-winning book, Spirit of the Woods, the story of a young woman's encounter with Bigfoot by James Allen Ross. Hey, Boothangs. It's your girl, Rebecca. And Lily. And you're listening to... Just Ghouly Things. Hey, Boothangs. Welcome back to Just Ghouly Things. And we are your bootyful hosts, Rebecca and Lily. Hi. And this is season number four. Four. Uh, You know what? I feel so refreshed. I was so excited to record this episode because it's been almost a month since we've recorded. Yeah, it has. But we've had a lot going on. I think that we needed this little hiatus. We did. I need that little like calm down to just refresh us. Yes. Start off on new topics and exactly. new things going on. Um, Definitely. What can we update them on? Well, what, what did we do during our four-week hiatus? I feel like we need to make up something fun and exciting. Okay, so I, um, yeah, no, uh, well, um, I'm trying to think of a lie that's convincing, but I'm not known for that. Lily and I snowboarded down the Egyptian pyramids. It's topless. Is there snow in Egypt? Um, the, and we well, made it and snow in Egypt. We it's brought snow to It's Egypt. been flooding and it's been tornadoing around by us. And mm-hmm. you know what? At this point, the way that 2020 and going into 2021 has been, why wouldn't exactly. it be snowing in Egypt, right? Exactly. Well, what happened was it snowed in Egypt. So we, we like sledded and yes. snowboarded down. Titties out, yes. Titties out, of course. And then we our flight got canceled. From the oh, snow. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, we yeah. took the Jeff Bezos rocket, took it for a spin back to New Jersey. Yeah, it was like, eh, I'd rate it like three out of five stars. Yeah, it was honestly like, sorry, Jeff Bezos, but seats weren't that comfortable. It, it wasn't comfortable and like. And he treats his employees like shit. I was, anyway, I wanted to make I wanted to I wanted to make a unionization joke. I was at the copier at work the other day, and my my coworker was on lunch, and she goes, "Oh my god, Jeff Bezos is going to space!" And I was like, "Leave him there." Because <laughs> I'm typing things, and then I mean, I like I respect his mind, but like, a little unionization never hurt anybody. The best is when they say, like, he donates a certain amount of million dollars or something. It's like, do you know that's literally, like, as if I were to pull out, like, 72 cents worth of change and just gave it to a homeless person? Like, that is, like, a million or whatever millions of dollars he gives to someone, that's literally his It's like pocket change. Yeah, like, it's just like, oh, yeah, I'm here, go have fun with this. Um, There's this um, young gravy line who I was telling you about earlier, and he goes, got a Billy wanna cut Jeff Bezos Hey Alexa, I'm playing baby. Please don't take me off payroll. And that's how I feel. Like as the daughter of someone who gets an Amazon package every night, mm-hmm. like I do have to put a disclaimer that I have ordered, I think, three things off of Amazon in the past year. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we try to cut down here at JGT, but you know, sometimes you need something and you need it the next. Like sometimes you need earring backs and you need them the next day. I, I couldn't agree more. That is the only exception, I guess. But I can't really say anything because what was my last purchase? Oh, I use the Amazon Fresh because I, I, I get my Whole Foods order and mm-hmm. I have them deliver it here in two hours. So, um, what? Yeah. And that's an Amazon thing? Yeah. Because I do like Instacart. Whole, yeah. So, Whole Foods, Amazon, of course, owns Whole Foods. So, you go through the Amazon Fresh app. 
and you put in whatever you want, and then within two hours, they send someone to deliver it to you. So what we really did was I went to the doctor, and Rebecca did some boxing and some fun interviews, and she had her engagement party. The engagement party was so fun, and I'm just so glad that I got to see Lily during our little hiatus. Yes, it was fun. And then we kept trying to plan, but it didn't it, no, literally every time she was free, I would have something or I would just be so tired from mm-hmm. work because I've been working now like 12-hour days Ugh. at the gym. Um, being a trainer, if any of our listeners are trainers, you do love the fact when you're busy because that means more money. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that also means that like you have more money, less sanity. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So I was just, I don't know what made me think of this topic for today. Um But, Lily, do you want to tell them what this season four, episode one's topic is? We are doing haunted southern cities, I guess, or haunted southern landmarks. Just like the spooky south. The spooky spooky south. South. That is going to be season four, episode one's title. Spooky south. Yay! Okay. But, okay. So, wait, should I? Yeah, I should start. You should start. Yeah, so Rebecca has two. I have one. Because in true fashion, I also got frustrated. Like I told you, it has been happening a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? Fuck this. Fuck this laptop. I'm doing one. You texted me. You're like, I'm just going to do one. You do two. And I was like, are you sure? And you're like, yes. <laughs> I think <laughs> I actually used the word yes, yes. too, yes. Like not harsh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, I will be doing the two stories today. Okay. So um, I'm going to be starting off with New Orleans, Louisiana. A good one, always a good one. So New Orleans is known widely as America's most haunted city and for very good reasons. Originally a French settlement, the city developed its rich history and vibrant personality from a mix of Creole influence, gruesome colonial wars, and a very prevalent voodoo culture, including famed voodoo priestess Marie Laveau. One block away from lively Bourbon Street, the Dauphine Orleans Hotel, with its quiet courtyards, was home to the first brothel in New Orleans, May Bailey's, and owned briefly by a close family member of the infamous Madame Delphine LaLaurie, who has her own very terrifying history, and that is who I'm going to be focusing on for this part of the episode. Okay, can I say something really funny yes. really quick? Yes. So on the last season, I, I stopped watching RuPaul's Drag Race just because like, I don't Not know. a cup of tea? Yeah, it, it like kind of changed for me, but the last season I watched, actually was it the latest season? I can't keep it straight. They're, they have constant seasons now, so I don't know. They but really do, yeah. There was this queen and her name was Lala Ree. Like L A L A, and then the last name was R I. And I remember thinking, like, that's a weird name. I was talking, I was watching it with my parents, and I was like, why is it La La Re? Like, why not just La La? And she was like, well, where's she from? And she's from Louisiana, or New, uh-huh. I think exactly New Orleans. And I was like, there was like a woman or like a family called like the La Lurie's. And like, I think that's where it came from. And so when I was going through your document to make sure I didn't do something you did, I saw the name and was like, oh my God, I get to talk about Drag Race for a second. (laughs) Is it really just Ghoulie Things podcast if we don't bring up a RuPaul Drag Race reference at some point? I don't think so. I think we're coming back in style. I think we're very on brand. Yeah, it's very on brand for us. Okay, so a little background information. Maria Delphine McCarthy, or McCarthy, uh, was more commonly known as Madame Blanc, or after her third marriage as Madame LaLaurie, was a New Orleans socialite and 
serial killer, who, tor- yes! <laughs> who tortured and murdered slaves in her household. I shouldn't have said yes to serial killers. I'm about to get canceled. Yeah. Oh, starting season four strong, guys. <laughs> so accounts of Delphine LaLaurie's treatment of her slaves between 1831 and 1834 are mixed. So Harriet Martineau, writing in 1838 and recounting tales told to her by New Orleans residents during her 1836 visit, claimed LaLaurie's slaves were observed to be singularly haggard and wretched. However, in public appearances, LaLaurie was seen to be generally polite to black people and salacious of her slave's health. So she tried to put on appearances that she was so... She, what, what would be the word? Um, like open-minded? Open-minded and loving of all, but really she was just a piece of shit behind the scenes. Just, just not a good person. Just trying to keep up appearances, really. So, bitch! Such I don't a know bitch. what else to say to that, bitch. <laughs> so, funeral registers between 1830 and 1834 document the death of 12 slaves at the Royal Street Mansion, although the causes of death are not mentioned, and infectious diseases could have easily been the case. Okay. These 12 deaths include Bonnie, a cook and laundress, and her four children, Juliet, Florence, Jules, and Leontine. Bonnie had previously belonged to a refugee from St. Domingue and was described in her sale as a, quote, chronic runaway, end quote. With an influx of white and free-colored St. Domingan refugees and their slaves, the fear of slaves from St. Domingue were still lingered in Louisiana. Court records of the time show that LaLaurie freed two of her slaves, John Louis in 1819 and De Vince in 1832. Mortonow wrote that public rumors about LaLaurie's mistreatment of her slaves were sufficiently widespread that a lo- local lawyer was dispatched. Wait a minute. Something just hit me. What? Mistreatment of slaves? They're already fucking <laughs> slaves. They're already being mis. You don't need to. What? What? Mistreatment of slaves? They're already slaves. <laughs> This is this I'm is sorry. this is true wording oh, of a true mid 1800s document right here. Mistreatment of Oh my god. So a Oh lo- my god. Excessive abuse of the abused. <laughs> oh my god. Sorry, continue. Can you guys tell that Lily's very passionate about this right now? I'm heated. <laughs> what? What? The, I'm sorry. <laughs> It, get, it gets worse, don't worry. Okay. So um, a local lawyer, lawyer was dispatched to Royal Street to remind the lorry of the laws for the upkeep of slaves. Like, they're your property, but treat them well. Like, Yeah, okay, well, yeah. I, I, uh, yeah, so do with that information as you must. And that's currently Lily bashing her head in. I'm my head on the desk. I don't want to break this. What is this? What is this, West Elm desk? <laughs> Amazon. <laughs> Fuck you, Jeff. Okay, I'm sorry, you guys. During this visit, the lawyer found no evidence of wrongdoing or mistreatment of slaves by the lorry. Of course. There's no wrongdoing of the humans you've taken as property. None. That's completely valid. So Martinell also recounted other tales of the lorry's cruelty that were current among New Orleans residents in about 1836. She said that subsequent to the visit of the lawyer, one of the lorry's neighbors saw one of her slaves, a girl of about eight years, fall to her death from the roof of the Royal Street Mansion while trying to avoid punishment from a whip-wielding LaLaurie. The body was subsequently buried on the mansion grounds. John, De- uh, John Delavine, 
in her 1945 account, gave the child's age as 12 years old and gave her a name, Leah. Later writers elaborated on the case, saying that Leah had been brushing Delphine's hair when she hit a snag, causing Leloy to grab a whip and chase her. Oh, great. According to Martineau, this incident led to an investigation of the Lalories, in which they were found guilty of illegal cruelty and forced to forfeit nine slaves. Poor them. These nine, these nine what a punishment. These nine slaves were brought back by the Lalories through an intermediary relative and returned to the Royal Street residence. Mm. Jesus Christmas. Similarly, Martin now recounted stories that Lalori kept her cook chained to the kitchen stove and beat her daughters when they attempted to feed the slaves. Oh my God! On April 10th, 1834, a fire broke out in the Laloi residence on Royal Street starting in the kitchen. When the police and fire marshals got there, they found the cook, a 70-year-old woman, chained to the stove by her ankle. She later said that she had set the fire as a suicide attempt because she feared being punished. She said that slaves taken to the uppermost room never came back. That's so sad that people would rather take their own lives than deal with what they would believe is the fate of death. Oh my god. Like it shouldn't honestly, even be in a situation. I honestly ugh, Yeah. I'm still on the mistreatment of slaves part. <laughs> Lily's not gonna get over it. That's this. like saying, oh, there was excessive enlightening of students. <laughs> like, yeah, they're already fucking you know what I mean? Ah Okay. Okay. I'm still on that. So, as reported in the New Orleans Bee of April 11th, 1834, bystanders responding to the fire attempted to enter the slave quarters to ensure that everyone had been evacuated. Upon being refused the keys by the Lalories, the bystanders broke down the doors to the slave quarters and found, quote, seven slaves, more or less horribly mutilated, suspended by the neck with their limbs apparently stretched and torn from one extremity to the other, end quote, who claimed to have been imprisoned there for some months. So there are people at this point that obviously, even if even if they did or didn't believe in slavery, they still be- believed in the well treatment of them. At least give them a place to stay, a roof over their head. They saw that the, this property was being caught on fire. They wanted to do right by them. They go into these headquarters because the lawyers were not giving them access by use of keys. So they broke down the door themselves and saw that these people were already mutilated, were already destroyed, were oh hanging, like, God. were already abused. Just absolutely horrendous. Horrible. I would be like, ma'am, step into the fire, please. We just need to check something <laughs> and then, like, make it on fire more. So one of these, uh, one of those who entered the premises was Judge Jean-Francois Cagnog. Or Canong. I can't read. Who subsequently deposed to having found in the LaLaurie Mansion, among others, a quote, negress wearing an iron collar and an old Negro woman who had received a very deep wound on her head who was too weak to be able to walk, end quote. Oh, my God. Ken Nange said that he, when he was questioned, when he questioned Lori's husband about the slaves, he was told in an insolent manner that, quote, some people had better stay at home rather than come to other people's houses to dictate laws and meddle with other people's businesses, end quote. Oh, 
So a version of this story circulating in 1836 recounted by Martineau added that the slaves were emaciated, showed signs of being flayed with a whip, were bound in restrictive postures, and wore spiked iron collars which kept their heads in static positions. Okay, but like what the fuck did you think was happening? When the discovery of the abused slaves became widely known, a mob of local citizens attacked the LaLaurie residence and demolished and destroyed everything upon which they could lay their hands on. Oh, good. Yes. Um, a sheriff and his officers were called upon to disperse the crowd, but by the time the mob left, the property had sustained major damage with scarcely anything remaining but the walls. The slaves were taken to a local jail where they were available for public viewing. The Bee reported that by April 12th, up to 4,000 people had attended to view the slaves to convince themselves of their sufferings. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Break that down for me. So they took the they took the slaves to the jail because obviously like they had no place, right, okay. to stay. Yeah. So not only were they put in this jail, they were put for public viewing so people can go and see these people just suffering. Oh, like a fucking goddamn freak show? Like literally like a zoo. Like actually a zoo. Um to convince themselves that they're suffering. So like look at them to be like, okay, like they deserve this. Yeah. I know. So the Pittsfield Sun, citing the New Orleans advertiser and writing several weeks after the evacuation of LaLaurie's slave quarters, claimed that two of the slaves found in the mansion had died since their rescue. It added, quote, We understand that in digging the yard, bodies have been dis- disinterred um, and condemned well in the grounds of the mansion, having been uncovered. Others, particularly that of a child, were found, end quote. These claims were repeated by Martin Now in her 1838 book, retrospect of western travel where she placed the number of unearthed bodies at two including the child leah the lori's life after the 1834 fire was not well documented martin now wrote in 1838 that a fled new orleans during the mob violence that followed the fire taking a coach to the waterfront and traveling by schooner to mobile alabama and then to paris by the time Martin now personally visited the Royal Street Mansion in 1836, it was still unoccupied and badly damaged with, quote, gaping windows and empty walls, end quote. The circumstances of LaLaurie's death are also unclear. In 1888, George Washington Cable recounted a popular but unsubstantiated story that LaLaurie had died in France at a boar hunting accident. And in the late 1930s, Eugene Bax, who served as a sexton at the St. Louis Cemetery No. 1 until 1924, discovered an old cracked copper plate in Alley 4 of the cemetery. The inscription on the plate read, Madame LaLaurie, ni Marie Delphine McCarthy, Paris, December 7, 1842. Um, and the English translation of the inscription reads, Madame LaLaurie, Paris, December, uh, died in Paris, December 7th, 1842, at the age of, they, it, it began with six, but they didn't really know, and mm. then later they found out that she died at the age of 62. Okay. So, though today's building is not the very same one that Lalloy lived in and cannot be toured, it is a highlight of many New Orleans ghost tours due to its tragic history and the tales of being haunted. Folk histories of its haunting began soon after Lalloy disappeared from New Orleans, at which time people claimed to hear the phantom screams of her victims spilling from the house in the dead of night. By 1885, the historical sketchbook and guide of New Orleans referred to it as the haunted house on Royal Street. So the stories continued into the next decades, describing the property as being haunted by the victims of the socialite serial killer. 
The tales say that wails of agony plague its rooms at night, doors slam, faucets suddenly turn on, and the furniture moves on its own. Body imprints are found on beds that no one has slept on. Apparitions of slaves, some wearing chains, have been seen walking around the property. And the ghost of Madame Lollery herself doesn't appear on the property, but allegedly has been seen at the nearby St. Louis Cemetery, where she once worshipped. So to conclude my research on uh, the Lollery Mansion, I have some stories, some encounters Mm -hmm. to read you guys. So the first one is titled, A Dark Entity Within. Despite all the ghost stories and paranormal happenings at the Lollery House, it would be folly to assume that all of them can be traced back to Madame Lollery and her mistreatment of slaves. In 1894, a tenant who lived at the Lollery Mansion, the house was converted into apartments, was brutally murdered in his room. They found his belongings ransacked as if someone had gone through them. The police assumed that he was a victim of a robbery, even though nothing of value was found missing. An interesting account regarding his murder deals with the police interviewing neighbors about his disappearance. One of his friends claimed that he was having problems with his, with sprites in his house. And Wait, like sprites are like fairies? Yes, yeah, like the cryptids. His friend wrote, wrote it off as his imagination running wild, but he did say something interesting. He claimed that his friend told him that there was a demon in that house who wasn't going to rest until he had met his end, which the man did in this house. Is it possible that at least some of the ghostly phenomena can be a result of this brutal murder? It certainly is possible. However, nobody will know for sure until a real paranormal investigation team can investigate this location. Only then, by communicating with the dead who still reside here, we can hope to get to the bottom about the truth of the ghosts at Lollery Mansion. So that is one encounter. Oh. The second encounter is titled During the Schoolgirl Years. The Lollery Mansion was, for the very brief time, also a school for all girls during the mid to late 19th century. So this mansion really? has been a jack of all trades, right? It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's had many hats. Um, so uh, at first, it was... It had been one of the few mixed schools in the city of New Orleans. But poli- so wait, she owned it while it was an all-girls school, or no? Um, she owned it while it was a school that was integrated. Uh, no, it this was after. After, okay. Because I okay, okay. No, no. I was so confused. That would have been very. That, that like, would have led to a lot of question marks. Well, yeah, because like you said, like in public, she was like you know open-minded, and then she ran. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Continue. No, this was after. So. Um, But politics during the Reconstruction era were convoluted, and surely enough, soon after the school at 1140 Royal Street was converted into strictly an all-girls African-American primary school. So they tried to do the whole mixed thing, and then people were like, we're not ready for that yet. And then it just turned into an all-girls African-American primary school. Yeah, we're just, like, not ready for... We're, yeah, <laughs> Jesus Christ, right? Yeah, this whole, like, humans being equal is taking a real emotional toll on me. So within a short oh, amount damn of... it, this is exhausting. So within a short amount of time, reports of physical assaults came to light. We know that young girls would approach their teachers, tears streaking down their faces with their sleeves rolled up. The exposed flesh on the other forearms were scratched and bruised. And the teachers would demand, who did this to you? And the answer was always the same. That woman. Ooh. But these girls were young enough to probably not be aware of Madame Delphine and the devastating tragedy some decades earlier. 
Moreover, it was unlikely that the teachers themselves would tell six, seven, or eight-year-olds about the starvation and immoral torture of slaves some decades before. One must wonder if the young girls were playing pranks on each other or if their claims that some phantom woman had scarred them was true. Well, okay, no joke, though. Nuns used to do this type of shit in my dad's school. What do you, they would beat the kids. Well, okay, so they wouldn't... So my dad, being my father, right, he and his brother used to get into all kinds of trouble at school, and they went to Catholic school, mm-hmm. right? And the nuns deadass would, like, hit their hands with rulers. Oh, they yeah, would that's, be, like, like They'd normal. be, like, palms up, and then take the ruler by the side and, like, whack them with it. So then the next experience is titled, A Medium to Read the House. Although not everyone believes in psychics or mediums, there was one particular instance that was made known to Ghost City Tours team in which someone on one of their ghost tours happened to be a medium. And throughout the entire night, she had sensed things about various locations before the tour guide even told the story. But within the first sight of the Lollary Mansion, the medium sucked in a deep breath. Such sadness, she whispered, as she rocked back on her heels. Pulling out her phone, she proceeded to snap a picture of the mansion. The bricked-up window she went on? That's not where the little girl fell out of. The tour guide paused simply because she hadn't gotten to the part of the story where the little girl fell at all. Nevertheless, she recovered quickly and said, no, you're right. The story goes that Leah fell into the courtyard. As for the bricked up window, I suspect that someone did some interior decorating but wanted to maintain the symmetry of the outside of the home. In the next few minutes, the medium experienced such a heavy emotion, like the weight had settled down upon her shoulders. She sensed the spirit of a young boy who liked to play pranks on the, li- on the living and the spirit of a little girl who was often nervous. Did she feel any of the helplessness or anger? The tour guide asked. No, was the response. Whatever happened, then with Lollary, does not visit the house any longer. Is this true, though? Had the spirits of the slaves who were once nearly starved to death in the streets moved on? And if that's the case, then who is responsible for all the haunted reportings of 1140 Royal Street? And that's how I am going to conclude my findings of the Lawlery Mansion in New Orleans, Louisiana. Oh, my God. Okay, so first of all, I'm pissed that you found all these encounters because I could not find that much shit on anything I did. And second of all, what a bitch. Just, like, bottom line. Just like, Fuck her. What a That's terrible person. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Nothing. Anything Anything to do with slavery is just a no from me, dog. <laughs> yeah. So I'm talking about one of actually something I really wanted to do, and this is why I tested you. I was like, are you doing any plantations? Because there's this one I wanted to do that I think we might have done in another episode. Myrtle's Plantation. Did we do this one? It sounds familiar. I feel like we touched upon it, but it wasn't a big piece of the episode. I think we just did like haunted mansions and like this was one of them, but I don't know how in depth we went with it. If we did do it, I don't know. So Myrtle's Plantation is located... It says um, it's in Louisiana within driving distance of New Orleans. Uh, it says St. Francisville. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that is. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea. But it's by New Orleans. So we're staying on brand here. So this is from Wikipedia, I think. So it says in the 19th century. So it starts 19th century up until then. So Myrtle's Plantation was built in 1796 by David Bradford on 600 acres and was named Laurel Grove originally. And General David Bradford lived there alone for several years until the president, John Adams, pardoned him for his role in the Pennsylvania Whiskey Rebellion in 1799. 
He then moved his wife, Elizabeth, and their five children to the plantation, to the, this plantation from Pennsylvania. And let's see. Upon Bradford's death in 1808, his widow, Elizabeth, continued running the plantation until 1817 when she handed the management to Clark Woodruff, one of Bradford's former law students, who had married her daughter, Sarah Matilda. The Woodruffs had three children, Africa Gale, James, and Mary Octavia, before Sarah Matilda and two of her three children died in 1823 and 1824 of yellow fever. Oh, no. That sounded so ingenuine. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Oh, no. So, but here's the worst part. Elizabeth, their mother, the mother and the grandmother of the people who died was still alive. So then about, like, seven years later, Elizabeth Bradford dies in 1831. Clark Woodruff and their surviving daughter, Mary Octavia, moved to Covington, Louisiana, and left a caretaker to manage the plantation. In 1834, Woodruff sold the plantation, the land, and its slaves to Ruffin and Gray Sterling. And then he, Ruffin and Gray Sterling and his wife, Mary Catherine Cobb, undertook an extensive remodeling of the house, nearly doubling the size of the former building and filling the house with imported furniture from Europe. It was during this time that the name was changed to the Myrtles after the crepe myrtles that grew in the vicinity. Now, a crepe myrtle is basically like a flower, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, so... Didn't know that. Sterling died in 1854 and left the plantation to his wife. So already... In, what, like, 150 years or so? Like, it's had, like, four or five different owners yeah, and caretakers. Yeah, a lot of history. Yeah, already there's a bunch of shit going on here. So, the Myrtles survived the American Civil War, though robbed of its fine furnishings and expensive accessories. In 1865, Mary Cobb Sterling hired William Drew Winter. Also, I love these names. Like, I don't love things about the Old South, but I do love the names. So, William Drew Winter helps manage the plantation as her lawyer and agent. And he was married to her daughter, Sarah. And they went on to have six children, one of whom, named Kate, died from typhoid at the age of three. So, the family fortune was lost in the aftermath of the war due to it being tied up in Confederate currency. And the Winters were forced to sell the plantation in 1868, but were able to buy it back two years later. Oh, my God. So, yeah, this whole thing is just fucked. In 1871, William Winter was killed on the porch of the house, possibly by a man named E.S. Weber. So Sarah remained remained at the Myrtles with her mother and siblings until 1878 when she died. Mary Cobb Sterling died in 1880, and the plantation passed to her son, Stephen. The plantation was heavily in debt. However, Stephen... Oh, was was heavily in debt, however. (laughs) I said that one wrong. And Stephen sold it in 1886 to Oren D. Brooks, who in turn sold it in 1889. The plantation changed hands several times until 1891 when it was purchased by Harrison Milton Williams. So that's just going from late 18th to the end of the 19th century, and there's already been, like, I lost count of how many people. So now we go to the 20th century. 
where in the early part of the century, the land surrounding the house was divided among the heirs of Harrison Milton Williams. In the 1950s, the house itself was sold to Marjorie Munson, who apparently noticed odd things happening around the Myrtles, resulting in numerous ghost stories. The plantation went through several more ownership changes in the 1970s before being bought by James and Francis Kermine Myers, who ran the plantation house as a bed and breakfast. During this time, Francis Myers, writing as Francis Kermine, wrote a book about the Myrtles Plantation, naming it as one of the most haunted houses in America. Wow. The current owners, John and Tita Moss, Tita Moss, uh, continue to open the house for tours and overnight guests. The plantation house is rumored to be on top of an ancient tunica, tunica? Indian burial ground, and it is currently a bed and breakfast and offers historical and mystery tours. So, already there's a lot of history. You've got, like, 8 million owners of a plantation. with So, like, multiple slaves. Like, these slaves have different owners. Who the fuck knows what happened? Mm-hmm. One guy gets mysteriously shot by some dude with a name that just sounds fake. What was it, like, E.S. William oh. Meister? Meister? Totally sounds like... like if it was going to be a bot that, like, sends you random DMs on Instagram, that would be their <laughs> name. Fucking Burgermeister Meisterburger rolls up and shoots this guy, which honestly, like, I would too. If I was like, hey, you got slaves? It would solve nothing, but... I mean, mean, it's the point. It's self-expression. Yeah. So, oh, like, clearly there's shit, and, like, you have all these people, these slaves being mistreated, which comes with the territory of being a fucking slave. So... Already there's a lot going on. And then you get, like, passed around. You have all these different owners, right? All these different owners and all these different managers and groundskeepers. And then it's sold. And then they get divided in, the like, the early 20th century. And all of a sudden it's a bed and breakfast. Like, who the fuck knows what's happening? This place is messy. This place is literally, like, I... Okay. I thought my life was messy. Myrtle's Plantation is messier. <laughs> this takes... The <laughs> so, obviously by now, with everything happening, it's gained some notoriety and mm-hmm. some fame. But you throw all of this on top of being allegedly on an Indian burial ground, which is like the creme de la creme yes. of a recipe for paranormal disaster. The chef's kiss. Mwah. Mwah. <laughs> Touted as one of America's most haunted homes, the plantation is supposedly the home of at least 12 ghosts. And it is often reported that 10 murders occurred in the house, but historical records only indicate the murder of William Winter. So William Drew Winter is also a very popular character in the plantation. He was an attorney who lived in the plantation from 1865 to 71, which we are just reiterating at this point. Um, Basically, there there, (laughs) there were two Wikipedia pages I took this from. There was Myrtle's Plantation and then Legends of Myrtle's Plantation. So, after being shot, though, some more details, he staggered inside the house and died trying to climb the stairs. He died on the 17th step of the stairs. To the present day, visitors, as well as the employees in the hotel, still hear his dying footsteps. So, in 2002, Unsolved Mysteries filmed a segment about the alleged hauntings at the plantation. According to host Robert Stack, the production crew experienced a technical difficulty, many technical difficulties, during the production of the segment. The Myrtles House, the Myrtles was also featured on a 2005 episode of Ghost Hunters, 
and the TV series Ghost Adventures also filmed an episode there. Yeah. So, one of the most well-known of the Myrtle's ghosts is Chloe, or I guess Clo. So, C-H-L-O-E, or just C-L-O-E. Mm-hmm. So, it, she was reportedly a, reportedly a slave owned by Clark and Sarah Woodruff. According to one story, Clark Woodruff had pressured or forced Chloe into being his mistress. Ugh. Other versions of the legend have Chloe listening in at keyholes to learn news of Clark Woodruff's business dealings or for other purposes. After being caught, either way, by Clark or Sarah Woodruff, one of her ears was cut off and she wore a green turban to hide it. Oh my gosh. Chloe supposedly baked a cake containing the extract of boiled and reduced reduced oleander leaves, which are extremely poisonous. So this is what I remembered, right? The owners, at one point, one of the owners of the plantations, like, got poisoned. Like, the family got poisoned. I'll let you take your Advil. ASMR! Missed it. Dude, I've been taking so much Advil. That's the new. We've really so grown much. since season one. <laughs> we had notebook ASMR, and now it's painkiller ASMR. Right, so the oleander leaves, which are extremely poisonous. The various legend di- legends diverge as to why she did this. A housemaid who was getting the favor of the mistress was a suspect, with some saying she was getting revenge on the Woodruffs, which I can't imagine why you would suspect literally anything but that. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't know, a fucking slave poisoned their owner? Hmm, I wonder why. <laughs> Hello? Some were also saying she was atten- the slave who poisoned the Woodruffs was re- attempting to redeem her position by curing the family of the poisoning. So there's a lot going on. According to the legends, her plan backfired. Only Sarah and her two daughters ate the cake and all died from the poison. Uh. Chloe was then supposedly hanged by the other slaves and thrown into the Mississippi River, either as punishment or to escape the punishment by Clark Woodruff for harboring her. Oh, shit. Yeah, so the historical record doesn't support this legend. Um, there is no record of the Woodruffs owning a slave named Chloe or Clo or any slaves at all. But at the same time, like, I was watching a serial killer documentary today, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, he couldn't have killed her. He was at work. And I'm like, but this is all penciled in. Yeah, no, if we're believing word of mouth, then um, I was dating my brother in fifth grade and stuffing my bra in third grade. And I am Jeff Bezos. If you go to the website of the Myrtle Plantation... There's a little bit more on the legend of Chloe, and there are some images. Now, I'm not going to lie. I don't want any bad publicity. One, a couple of the images look real, but there's this one that, like, I feel like as, like, fans of the paranormal, you know what I mean, and, like, believers in the paranormal, we do have to kind of, like, call a spade a spade. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. One of the pictures on there doesn't look real. Okay. Like, it deadass looks doctored. Now... As someone who's never taken a photograph of a ghost, who am I to say what is and isn't a real photograph of a ghost? Yes. But it does seem a little, like, I zoomed in on it. You have to question. And it, yeah. So one of them is questionable. The other ones are like, holy shit, that could be real. Yeah, so let's go to the website. So I'll read this directly. So, like, this is the picture. Somewhere in here is, like, a strange picture of Chloe. I think she's, I don't know there maybe i think that's supposed to be a person standing on the side of the building but then there's this picture and like i'm sorry that 
That looks like what they did. They took a picture and then like made it transparent. Yeah, it looks a they little overlapped it. Well, because you look and like clearly like it's been edited, but it's just I don't know. Like that to me seems a little convenient. It's eerie. It's, it's eerie, eerie but and I'm see... not. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. It gets the job done because I'm gonna close my eyes tonight and see that image. Yes. Like the job's been done. But I could see how skeptics could knock that. Immediately. Yeah. So in 1992, the proprietress. I can read the word. I can't pronounce it. Proprietress. I can hear it in my head, but my mouth won't make the sounds. Of the Myrtle's plantation photographed what appeared to be a slave girl standing between two of the buildings on the plantation. The insurance company had required photographs to be taken that would show the distances between the buildings to aid the underwriters in raiding a fire insurance policy for the plantation. So it wasn't like someone was just, like, out here taking pictures. Yeah. You know how you see, like, ghosts caught on video? Or, like, you watch, like, funny, clumsy compilations? And at least before Snapchat and TikTok when people filmed everything, like, you'd be like, well, why were you filming that? Yeah, like, it's got to like, be staged. Yeah. You know, like, there was... I remember I would watch, it, like, America's Funniest Home Videos with my parents. My mom would be like... Because my mom's, like, German and no fun. She'd be like, that can't be real. Why would they be filming someone doing that? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, thanks. Like, it was fucking funny. So... <laughs> fucking Amy. Right? So, the National Geographic Explorer Explorer filming crew determined that the photograph definitely contained what appeared to be an apparition of what they believed to be a slave girl. So, if Nat Geo says that this is a real image, like, we should maybe trust them. Um, The slave girl appeared in the breezeway between the general store and the butler's pantry of the mansion. The horizontal exterior boards of the mansion were clearly visible through the body of the apparition. And this is 1992. So I feel like people who are just snapping pictures don't have access to real good quality Photoshop. Yeah, yeah. You, know, like, you have to go get it developed at Kodak or CVS. Or <laughs> one Spotify. hour photo. Yes. So Explore, National Geographic Explorer used the photograph in their documentary and suggested that a postcard should be made of the photograph. Mr. Norman Benoit, a patent researchist, visited the Myrtle's plantation in May of 1995 and requested permission to research the postcard. After enlarging the postcard and doing a shadow density procedure, Mr. Benoit discovered that all of the physical measurements of the apparition were of human dimensions and proportions. The circumference of the head, the length of the shoulder to the elbow, and the length of the elbow to the wrist were all indicative of the human. The postcard is now referred to as the Chloe postcard. Mm. So I do kind of, you do have to admire like the kind of like ingenuity of, oh, that's a good picture. It's spooky. Let's make, let's make some money off of it. Yeah, why not? Why not? Right? Like if, if I ever like end up with a mugshot, like it's going on a t-shirt. Oh, a thousand percent. You know, like the Frank Sinatra mugshot poster. on the mantle. Yeah. Absolutely. Made to a Christmas ornament. My brother's like college graduation photo and <laughs> my mugshot. Choose your fighter. <laughs> so there are some other legends. So a variety of other legends surrounding the Myrtles include the house is reputedly built over an Indian burial ground and the ghost of a young Native American woman has been reported. Mm. During the Civil War, the house was ransacked by Union soldiers and legend claims that three were killed in the house. Supposedly, there is a blood stain in a doorway roughly the size of a human body that will not or would not come clean. Wow. Other legends say that cleaners have been unable to push their mop or broom into that space. Weird. 
A mirror located in the house supposedly holds the spirits of Sarah Woodruff and two of her children. According to custom, mirrors are covered after a death, but legend says that after the poisoning of the Woodruffs, this particular mirror was overlooked. The uncovered mirror reportedly trapped the spirits of Sarah and her children who are occasionally seen or leave handprints in the mirror. The plantation is also reportedly haunted by a young girl who, nine, who died in 1868 despite being treated by a local voodoo practic practitioner. She supposedly appears in the room in which she died and has been reported to practice voodoo on people sleeping in the room. Comforting. Oh. Yeah. Casual. So there is also a ghost who reportedly walks, staggers, or crawls up the stairs on the 17th steps. Crawls? Which, no. Yeah. Which is, of course, William Drew Winter, the guy who got shot by someone. And this is also the only verified murder in the house. Now, I think we should talk about some things about, whoop, about why that's the only verified murder. First of all, he's, in, he's important. Like, slaves are probably, I don't know, I've never, I never owned a plantation so I don't know how it works, but I can imagine there were tons of deaths. Yeah. And that like, just swept under and the, the rug. yeah, that were just like, okay, like we're going to bury you or like that one, you know, legend, like throw you in the Mississippi. Mm -hmm. So like back yeah. to that whole word of mouth thing, like, oh, there was only the one guy who died. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, yeah, cause you cared about him. And like, this is someone who owned the house. You wanted to solve it. A murder where the cause isn't important or a death where the cause is irrelevant. You're just going to like, try to, I guess, find a replacement for whatever service they were doing and carry on with your day. It's just another day, yeah. Right, so, I mean, people are being, like, literally tortured. Of course they're not going to survive. It's probably but part of the not, territory. When you're not seen as human, that doesn't really, it, it doesn't really matter at that point. Like, imagine killing a bug. Like, I did try to save an ant on my parents' back porch today because his back leg was broken. I don't think it worked. Um, I just kind of put him in a flower after trying to save him, but... Imagine like killing a bug, right? Like you, like a fly swatter, mm -hmm. and you're just like, okay, I'm next. Yeah. Like you're not considered, like you said, like worthy of anything. Like why would they? There's other insects that'll kill other insects. Right. Like why would the plantation owners stop whatever plantation owners do during the day to be like, oh, this poor, you know, like slave died of whatever. Like no one's gonna do that. Unfortunately. Yeah. So that's the only confirmed reported death of the house. Now. I think it's important to m mention that him dying on precisely the 17th step, some say in his wife's arms, some say not, like, that's frequently contested. Okay. Like, no one really knows if that's exactly what happened, but either way, the guy died. So now I have one experience from Reddit by Witty Phrase. It says, though admittedly my time, oh, Right, so this was someone who posted kind of like on the, it's a subreddit called IMA, and basically, you know, like you would be like, I'm a personal trainer, ask me anything. Or like, I am, you know, I'd be like, I am a, you know, like, bank representative, tell me any, ask me anything, whatever. So this was on the IMA Reddit, and it was, I am a tour guide at Myrtle's Plantation, oh, cool. ask me anything. So someone said, like, what are your experiences there? And... Witty phrase responds, though admittedly my time there has been relatively brief, I haven't seen much that I would describe as crazy, in quotes. Guests slash previous owners slash other employees have seen their fair shares of crazy stories, but I personally haven't seen anything much. 
Lots of little things like candles falling, faucets turning on and off, etc. Which isn't a little thing yeah. when you're in somewhere that's known to be haunted. Only a couple of things that at the least people on the tours at the time thought were crazy. When we told the Chloe story at the beginning of the tour, we had hand-sized framed portraits of the first two owners and a vase of oleander on a table to show the group. When I was around the part of the story about Judge Clark Woodruff hanging Chloe, Woodruff's portrait fell forward onto the table. Cue everyone on the tour freaking out. They come in hoping for and expecting this stuff, so the rare occasion like this gets quite a reaction. And the only other time was at the end of a tour in the children's dining room slash game room. It's a pretty small square room with just a small poker table and chairs in the middle and several portraits, including that of Judge Clark Woodruff. When I went to show the group room the whole poker set, chairs, and table, they had been turned upside down from in their same spots. Which, again, reminds me of the movie Poltergeist with the kitchen table chairs and they're stacked. Mm -hmm. And on an Indian burial ground, just saying. Um, Tours run every 30 minutes during the day, and I had just been in that room on the previous tour, so I found it odd that housekeeping could have come through that quickly. My coworkers also used to like playing pranks on me, though I admit that one would take some skills and balls to do. So that's that. I feel like also as a tour guide for somewhere like that's known to be haunted, I feel like it would be a big no-no to mess with the guests. Like they'd probably be like, yeah, fuck with your coworkers. Like move their sandwich from the, you know, like put their sandwich in the freezer or the break room and not like, oh, let's completely jeopardize our business reputation of our business to scare a tour guide making minimum wage probably yeah so yeah i I do i do trust that source so my next haunted southern location is located in savannah georgia so savannah can thank its storied past as a bustling port city full of bloody battles epidemics and colonial slave trade for its haunting reputation the moss-laden trees and cobblestone streets set a very chilling scene for its many historic buildings and cemeteries that ooze supernatural energy. The Marshall House, built in 1851, is a popular haunt you can look and book to stay during your trip. So I'll talk about how you can access the Marshall House towards the end. But the Marshall House Hotel on Broughton Street is one of the oldest hotels in Savannah, Georgia. And with that distinction comes a colorful past filled with enchanting charm. The Marshall House has retained some of the original architectural features, such as the beautiful brick walls and glamorous staircase. One thing that makes the Marshall House so unique is that unlike other historic hotels in Savannah, the Marshall House was not originally a house, but was built with the specific purpose of being a hotel. Mary Marshall built the hotel in 1851 on land that she'd inherited from her father, Gabriel Lever, who was a French cabinet maker. What the fuck? Yeah. I love these old ass jobs. Cabinet maker. You never hear someone being a cabinet maker. I was watching a TV show and he was like, yeah, my dad was a pencil salesman. Love that. (laughs) The Marshall House is widely considered by architectural historians to be the finest structure Mary Marshall has ever built. During the Civil War, the Marshall House was occupied by the Union and used as a hospital until the end of the war. It was also used twice more as a hospital during the yellow fever epidemics of the 19th century, and many believe ghosts still roam the 165-year-old structure. When the hotel was restored in the late 1990s, workers were replacing some damaged floorboards downstairs when they found human remains. 
The area became a crime scene, but soon it was learned that the downstairs had once been the hospital surgery room, leading, historian, hor, leading historians to believe that the bones which were discovered came from the amputated limbs of Civil War soldiers. Oh, fuck! No. How fucked up is that, right? I can't. So now we're going to be talking about the ghosts of the Marshall House Hotel. I'm listening. So the Marshall House is well aware of their reputation for paranormal activity. Eerie ghostly occurrences include faucets that turn on and off, lights that inexplicably flicker, electronic items powering themselves, toilets suddenly overflowing for no apparent reason, and disembodied voices that echo throughout the halls. On the fourth floor in the hallway... This is essentially the opening to the Haunted Mansion. This is the Haunted Mansion monologue. On the fourth floor in the hallway, loud noises are known to take place during the early morning hours, like the thundering of a heavy object crashing to the ground. Also, doorknobs to the rooms tend to wiggle as if someone is attempting to enter the room. I'm not sure of the exact intentions this impolite ghost has, but it's a safe bet that it's not the kind of room service you want. (laughs) One guest recalled, A room to be wary of, 306. The loud hall noises in the middle of the night happen on the fourth floor where we just happen to be staying. I've lived in many haunted houses, but Marshall House creeped me out completely. Mm -hmm. I loved it there, but I could not rest. Yes, it is old and noisy, but there's way more going on in than meets the eye. I know others have experienced things too. There is also a ghostly cat, but I've never seen it myself. There happened to be another hotel guest who said she did. But what else can you really expect from a city built on top of dead bodies? Oh my God! True. A, por- true. a portrait of Mary Marshall, painted in 1830 by artist Peter Lorenz, proudly hangs on the front, uh, behind the front desk in the hotel's lobby. One day, a young girl who was staying at the hotel with her father pointed to the picture of Mary Marshall and told her father that she had seen the lady in the hallway. While we don't know exactly what the father said, you can imagine his surprise when his young daughter told him she had seen the ghost of a woman who had been dead for decades. Perhaps they didn't stay at the Marshall house for too much longer, but, (laughs) you know, we can only assume. Guests have also reported hearing the distinct sound of an old-fashioned typewriter coming from the former room of author Joel Chandler Harris, who is best known for his collection of Uncle Remus stories. Is the spirit of Joel Chandler Harris still typing away, intent on creating another tale about Uncle Remus? Others tell of a dapper gentleman reading a book by a window, a lady in white flowing through the hallways. <laughs> And another ghostly woman who haunts the ladies' restroom. And on occasion, she will lock the stall. That's me. <laughs> I'm the ghost of the restroom. <laughs> and then on top of that, we have the ghostly children. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just thought something so fucked up. I'm the ghost of the ladies' restroom. People tend to know I was there after. <laughs> <laughs> that is disgusting. <laughs> Okay. So now we're going to be talking about the ghostly children of the Marshall House. Yes, the Marshall House is known to be a noisy place due to its wooden floors and high ceilings, but there are countless tales of the apparitions of small children and the sound of crying babies that have been regularly reported by guests at the famous hotel. The spirits of these children are known to linger around the Marshall House as the laughter and playful voices of the children can be heard within the building at any given moment. Sometimes, these ghostly children can be seen skipping, running, and playing games through the hallway, their apparitions as a physical form. During the night, sounds of marbles and rubber balls can be heard rolling and bouncing in the hallways. But if you were to take a peek out the hall, most likely you won't see anything. 
No kids, no balls, no marbles, leaving you to wonder if you imagine the entire thing. A guest named Christopher recalls, My fiancé and I stayed at the Marshall House for one night over the summer. At the time, we didn't know its history and just saw it was a cool hotel for a pretty inexpensive price point on Expedia. (laughs) That night, laying in bed and watching TV, we heard what we assumed were families out in the hall. It sounded like a lot of children running around and people talking very loudly, which was very odd for 12 a.m. However, when I looked, there wasn't anyone there. We heard the same sounds intermittently until we fell asleep. I wouldn't call the experience scary, just weird. There's an infamous story about a mother and a son who stayed at the Marshall House Hotel. The boy's mother was in the bedroom and her son was in the bathroom playing and talking to himself. Her son then came out of the bathroom crying and she asked him, what's wrong? And he also replied, the boy bit me. Confused, she asked, what boy? He then said, the one who I was playing with in the bathroom. The boy's mother quickly went to look in the bathroom and she didn't see and didn't see the boy of whom her son spoke of. But when she looked at her son's arm, she found that there was, in fact, a bite mark. All the color immediately washed away from her face. She later found out that this was not the first case of strange bites at the Marshall House. There have also been other guests who have been inflicted with a child-sized bite mark. That was done with so much force that each time a bruise was left and each time the bite mark was on a spot of the body that would have been impossible to reach unless said person was a contortionist. So there's that scary case. We're going to talk about the Civil War spirits at the Marshall House. After the hotel renovations unearthed the bones from the Civil War soldiers, the remains were cleared, but the paranormal activity still exists. So guests have reported numerous accounts of the ghosts of amputee soldiers who walk vacantly and aimlessly throughout the hotel. And one of these departed souls has been seen in the hotel's lobby with his missing arm and hand, pleading with the guests to help him find a surgeon. Yeah. Fuck that. Fuck that! Fuck that! Some guests have even made complaints of an awful odor, which seemed to smell like rotting flesh. One, One source gave this account... Quote, when they were first renovating the hotel and opening it in 1999, three rooms had foul smells and bad vibes, so overpowering that the staff and workers could not stay in them long enough to get anything done. Rooms uh, 214, 314, and 414. 414 being the worst, and I think it's still very active today. They tried every deodorizer they could to get a hold of it, and nothing worked. Finally, they had a prayer blessing in those rooms, and the smell and vibes relented only with 414 still having a persisting odor and vibe. Staff is said to play gospel music in that room when they are cleaning it because that is the only thing that keeps the vibes, again, and odor at bay, end quote. Hmm. At the site of the old operating room, guests have seen doctors treating soldiers who have been recently brought in from the battlefield. Some have made claims that they have felt a presence holding on to their wrist as a nurse would do to feel someone's pulse. Another, oh, I just got a chill. Another guest described seeing a shadowy man dressed like a Civil War soldier. With him was a small boy who shouted at her, Get out of my room! Hmm. Understandably, in fright, she grabbed her suitcase, leaving just as quickly <laughs> as she arrived. <laughs> you can stay at this hotel to this day. Or if you can't book a reservation, many of the city ghost tours include this hotel. So if you're in the Savannah, Georgia area, hit this place up. Huh. Yeah. And that's not on that. On that note, I think we should start wrapping up with our socials, shall we? <clears throat> oh, how I missed this. Okay. You can follow us on Instagram at... Just Cooling Things Podcast. 
those personal Instagrams at Rebecca Ruber and at Lily Baldessari. Twitter. JGT Podcast. Facebook like page. Just Cooley Things Podcast. Just Cooley Things Podcast. Donate to that Patreon. Just Cooley Things Podcast. Buy our merch at tpublic.com. Search Just Cooley Things Podcast or rebeccarupercom slash shop where you can find stuff on all her podcasts. Not just Just Cooley Things, but also Inside the Ring for our boxing booth things. Thank you for that plug. Lady. I literally just came up with that as I said it. <laughs> And if you or someone you know has a paranormal experience you'd like to share on our show, feel free to email us at justglowingthingspodcast at gmail.com. The way I slid into the mic for that. She literally slid in for that shout out. But I also do want to uh, give a special shout out to our sponsor, James Allen Ross. Uh, You will hear a little bit more about his book. And he is one of... Reasons that we are able to continue to go on to mm-hmm. season four. He's a big part of it, actually. Mm-hmm. Huge. So thank you so much again, James Allen Ross, for believing in our podcast. Oh, and if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please, please, please rate us five stars and leave us an awesome review. By the way, have you checked our reviews lately? No, why? <laughs> so I was on a, I think a Bumble date or a Hinge date, and the guy had too much to drink, so I made him leave. <laughs> That's a five-star review. Oh, my God. Shall we read it on air? Yes. I love how you're taking advantage of men (laughs) in their drunk stage by making them leave us reviews. So if you go to Apple Podcasts and you type in just ghouly things. Oh, my gosh. I need to see. I believe it's our most recent five-star review. This is a great, you want to know why? Lily is hot and funny and you should love it too. By Blink-182 Boy. Thank you, Blink-182 Boy. I don't even remember what you want to call me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I showed up, he had like one drink and I was like, you know I have a podcast? Do you listen to podcasts? Yeah, go to Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Literally Lily doing God's work. <laughs> so God works hard, but Lily Baldessari works, works harder. <laughs> so thank you for listening, Boo Things. Welcome back to Just Ghouly Things, and we will talk to Boo next week. Goodbye. Alex Knight, the world's foremost authority on Bigfoot research, heads to Canada to investigate a profoundly incredible Bigfoot encounter. His daughter, Sydney, eagerly joins the expedition. Accompanied by reluctant Toronto television hostess Amira Ali, Sid and her father's team adventure north in pursuit of the legendary Sasquatch. Prophecy from a forgotten Algonquin tribe and a mystical calling deeply connects Sydney to the creature. The revelation of unknown truths ensures that Sydney will never see the forest or herself the same again. Get your copy of James Allen Ross's Spirit of the Woods, the story of a young woman's encounter with Bigfoot. Now for the price of $9.99 paperback and $0.99 on Kindle. Available on Amazon now.